Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is October 20th, 2022. We continue our year-long series, Chronicles of the Kingdom. This is Lesson 41, Kingdom Awakening. You know, there are Christians all over the planet that are beginning to wake up from a peaceful slumber, only to discover that they're in serious bondage. They've been tied up with religious concepts and theologies and false doctrines. But yet there is an awakening that is happening. Believers are beginning to realize that they need the power of God. We often talk about the church is a sleeping giant, and if the church will just wake up, it could make changes in our country, it could make changes in the world that are going into darkness. But for the church to wake up, it has to take responsibility, and it has to exercise authority over the powers of darkness. The The powers of darkness must be driven out of the church. Because it is those powers of darkness that are stealing, killing, and destroying. They are destroying the next generation, the children of the world. Uh, We see it. There are denominations. They are fragmenting, dividing, infighting over issues such as whether or not you should accept a homosexual priest. Um, Whether you are some pre or post in your eschatology. And many other types of infighting that happen when you want to debate doctrine. But yet nothing they seem to do can overcome the immorality, the violence, the drug addiction, the corruption that is consuming the things of the world, and also is consuming people in the church. And so a sleeping church is in bondage. It's in bondage to religion, to pleasure, to money, to the things of the world. I often say that the church is much like the people in ancient Rome. They are in bondage to the sports and games of the gods of this age. Now, for people that know me personally, you know that I am a football fan. I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. I've been that way since birth. I was there through the 70s with Roger Staubach and Meredith and Dorsett and Lily. You know, all those grades, the Doomsday defense, Randy White, Ed Tuttle Jones. You know, I can name these players. I suffered through the 80s 
we had a great quarterback in Danny White, but we just couldn't win the big one. And then we, we suffered. But then we were rejuvenated in the 90s with Aitman and Emmett and Irving. You know, I, I, I'm a Cowboys fan. And so what I'm about to say, I speak from my heart, which is we have to understand that in ancient times, the Roman gladiators, it just wasn't about men that would just fight to, to kill each other in arena. That's not how it started. As a matter of fact, in Rome, it was called the circus. Think about it. It was the circus. And the people would go into the Colosseums or their stadiums that they would build, and they would be entertained. And they would have animals, and there were shows and dramas. And yes, there was fighting, but that was just part of the overall circus but eventually, as time went on, it became more and more of a gladiatorial arena um, competition. Today, we're not necessarily killing people, but yet some of the most popular sports are the more violent ones. Football. I know the NFL is working to make sure that injuries don't occur and, and with pads and equipment, but it's a violent sport. Um, baseball, which 100 years ago was the number one sport, is really beginning to drown out. Um, it's no longer uh, top uh, sports. It doesn't come close to football. Uh, basketball, um, again, it's, 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 it's not even close in comparison. In Canada, it's hockey. Um, and again, the violence in it and the equipment used to try to protect the, the players involved. Um, and, and many, many Christians will... On their Sundays, they're, they're consumed with the games. And that's how the enemy, that's how many of the Roman emperors would control the mob, was through the games. And so many Christians, so many people in our country are controlled by the entertainment. And I just use football as an example. But there are many forms of entertainment that we are so caught up in that we want to forget the church. You know, in Texas, we used to joke about pastors when the Cowboys were in the playoffs putting little TVs in the pulpit so they could watch uh, the games. Um, it's a joke, but it's also sad because that's not the type of life God's called us to. That's, you're asleep, you're walking into bondage, and you don't even realize it. And this is the foolishness that God is going to bring down because we're not at war with people or things. And as this world is, is careening into dark places, it, it, we, we, are, we are so quickly going in to incredibly biblical dark things. And we have to realize, like Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places there is a spiritual war in progress and it is one that wants to destroy people and the church has been sleeping through so much of it however god is very gracious and the holy spirit is moving he's moving amongst his people and he's sending out a cry it's being heard by many believers in their spirits. Now let's read about this biblically. Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. 
Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So here in Ephesians, is this awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. Jesus is speaking, the resurrected Christ is speaking to us, and so many of us are like dead men walking. Our spirits are dead. We're asleep. And I know that sounds crazy because as a Christian, we are alive in Christ. <clears throat> but the way we live our lives, we might as well be dead. We're, 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 we're sleepwalking. And that's no different than a dead person. You know, in Revelations, it talks about lukewarmness. God wishes you either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he'll vomit you out of his mouth. Um, being asleep, being a Christian that's asleep is no different than an unbeliever that's just walking around dead waiting for judgment. It's, it's, it's the same thing. And the Spirit is speaking. He's crying out, awake, you who sleep, arise, that we need to walk circumspectly. In other words, we need to be awake, aware, alert. We need to be understanding of life and what's going on. Because why? The days are evil and we can't be foolish. We can't be caught up in foolish things. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Powerful passage, because it's saying, wake up. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, what does that mean? I mean, how can how can you be more closer to being saved than I thought when you gave your heart to Jesus, you are saved? Well, you are. So the salvation it's referring to is the return of the Lord. See, when you give your heart to Jesus, when you say, Lord, take my sinful life and I'll take your life that you gave on the cross, when, when you do that, when you make that exchange with the Lord by faith, He, he saves you. If, if you were to die right then and there, you'd be with Him. He, he saved you from your sin. But our fleshly bodies, these bodies we have now, they're not going to heaven. God's going to give us a new body, a new flesh. He, he, you're born again in your spirit. Your spirit's reborn at salvation. Your spirit is instantly pure and clean before Him. Your mind is being transformed. That's why we read the word. That's why we pray. That's why we walk with God. He's transforming our minds. Our souls are being transformed into his image. And then our flesh, he's just going to replace. The corrupt in our flesh is just going to be replaced. Right now, our spirit and our flesh, they fight. They war with each other. Our, our flesh longs for sin. And God's going to replace that someday. So it says, now our salvation is near when we first believed. In other words, I believed, but I'm living in the sinful world. I struggle with my flesh. I walk through, and he's saying, oh, wake up. Wake up, because this salvation, the time when this completion 
of the world is coming at hand and you need to wake up. The night is spent. That means the darkness around you, though it seems at its height, it's over and the day is coming. So we need to walk properly. And this is not reverie and drunkenness. I am amazed at the levels of acceptance alcohol has gained in the church. And I say this in contemplation. I understand if you were to drink a glass of wine, you're not going to go to hell. But the Bible is very clear about drunkenness. And unfortunately, many believers have taken the liberty that God has given and has turned it into drunkenness. They're not drinking to drink a drink with a meal. They're drinking for the buzz, and that's drinking for drunkenness, and it is a sin. It is a it is a sin, and it is a darkness that is coming over. the The liberty that God gave us wasn't so you could go buy a twelve pack, you know, and drink the whole thing while you watched your game, or a case, or a keg, and drink it all down with buddies, where you lose your mind, you act stupid, you say terrible things, and you and you blow it all on your favorite sporting event whether it's boxing, wrestling, football, or whatever. This is not what God has called us to walk in. This is not proper. And notice that that revelry, that party atmosphere, that drunkenness, is followed by lewdness and lust. Because this is what happens. You begin to lose your mind. You say things that's not right. You begin to lust, and your flesh takes over. And then it now gets into what? Strife and envy. Fighting, jealousies, quarrels. Even as I say these words, many Christians would rise up and they would want to what? Fight. Strife. You're going against my, my freedom in Christ. You're going against these things. And they'll defend their sin. He says what? We need to put this stuff away. That's not how you walk in the day. It's not how you walk with the Lord. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. No provision. What that means is going, if these things where you want to walk on the line, you better get rid of it. Because that's a provision of the flesh and it fulfills its lusts. Put that away. It's dark. The scripture that comes to my mind about waking up is a teaching of Jesus. It does revolve around the end times, but it, it is us. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I know it's a little heavy. It's a little long, but I'm going to read it. Because we need to learn from it. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And this scripture, it goes hand in hand with Romans and Ephesians. Awake, you sleeper. See, this is the cry at midnight. It says, and at midnight a cry was heard. 
Behold, the bridegroom is coming. In Romans, it says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time. And so I asked this question to a group. What time does high time happen? When is high time? It's midnight. It's midnight. The idea of a high time, many of us will want to think a high time would be noon. It's when the sun is at its absolute highest peak in the sky. You know, the, the shadows aren't long and to the sides they're, they're straight down because the sun is directly over you. Um, and, and it's at its, at its zenith. It's at its highest point. We think that's high time. But here, no, no, the high time is midnight. See, midnight, the sun is on the exact opposite side of the planet. You are at the absolute darkest moment in the night. I know many of us, we want to think that maybe 3 a.m. or something is the darkest moment. But it's midnight because at midnight, the sun is on the exact opposite side. And then from that moment forward is when it begins to get lighter. From that moment on, we're now cruising to where the sun rises instead of the sun setting. The sun is set now it's coming back up and it is rising. And so it's at this midnight hour. It's in the darkest point. The cry goes out to the church. Wake up. Wake up. Because when darkness surrounds us, we have a way of just wanting to just go to sleep. That's how we're going to deal with darkness. I'll just go to sleep and someday I'll wake up and it'll be light and it'll be over. But here at the midnight, it's, wake up. The bridegroom is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. We need to wake up up and so we have to trim our lamps revelation talks about the lamps being lit in the first three chapters it says talking about jesus walking through the lamps and john goes what are the lamps and he's told well those are the churches the, the churches are the lamps and so the the virgins the people in the churches we need to wake up we need to trim our lamps. we need to be the light of the world we're called to be the light of the world and they go to do this but to you know, you trim your little wick and you light it up. But guess what? It will only burn as long as there's oil in the lamp to go up the wick to burn. If you don't have oil, your wick starts burning. And, and once the wick is gone, it's, you're, you're out of light. And so these foolish virgins, they did not bring oil. They didn't bring any oil. So they light up their lamps and their wicks are burning. And they realize, oh no, our, la our light's going to go out. So they turn to those wise virgins who have oil and they say, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, you gotta go get it yourself. You see, the oil represents the anointing, the power of God, the presence of God. You know, when Moses went up on the mountain to speak with God and he came down and his face just shone with countenance. It was like a light that came out of him. It was the, it was the anointing of God from being in his presence. It was on him. It was, it was a light to the people. And these virgins, these believers, they have anointing. How do you get anointing? Let me tell you, it's not hard to get anointing. You spend time with Jesus. You spend time in the presence of God. You read your Bible, you pray, you seek God, you draw near to him, and he draws near to you. See, the five virgins had drawn near to God. They'd spent time with God. They'd allowed God to put his presence upon them and, and, and anoint their lives with his spirit, the Holy Spirit within them. The other ones, oh, they believed. That's why they were there. But they didn't actually spend time with the Lord. They didn't actually you know, 
suffer themselves to read the Bible or to pray or to really see God, all that stuff will all work itself out in the end. They're just, it's just enough to believe, right? Just to, well, I'll just be there. It'll be good enough. And suddenly in this hour, they needed something they didn't have. And so you can't, I'm going to sound funny because they were told to go buy it, but you can't buy God's anointing. Okay. So the idea that they had to go buy from those who sell or whatever, that the, the idea is because this is a parable. And so you don't have oil. Well, you go, go get you some oil. And so the same thing is, is how do you buy anointing? I mean, in Revelation, Jesus tells the lukewarm church, you need to go buy gold refined in the fire and they're poor and wretched. Well, poor and wretched people can't buy refined gold. So it makes, it makes no sense. The idea of buying is going, listen, you have to sacrifice something to get it. When you buy something, you, you, you're buying it with money. How do you obtain money? You work, you sacrifice your, your life. You have to exert effort and devote time. You go out to a job, you work hours for someone and they pay you a wage. And so you're giving away portions of your life for money so that you can obtain something. The idea is if you want to obtain from God, you're going to have to get some time of your life. You're going to have to spend time with him. And so they have to go spend time with the Lord. But unfortunately, the Lord is already coming. There's no time to go spend with him to get this anointing that they need now. And it says that when they come back, when they're ready, the door has already been shut. And they missed it. And the Lord says, I don't know you. He doesn't know them because they didn't spend time with him. And of course, a question for another day to talk about is going, well, who did they go to to get oil? Where did they go to get their oil? Because it wasn't to the Lord. And it says, watch therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour. Church, we don't know the day or the hour that things are coming. We don't know. And once we're there, it's too late. Now, let me take this very same concept of waking up and put it in action. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. It says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he was an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Now the, the, the boy was demon possessed. So verse 16. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless. And perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I looked at this little portion here because it mirrors the virgins. It mirrors the wake up. See, here's a man. He has a son who's demon-possessed. He's an epileptic. This demon throws him into these... uh, 
seizures. It throws him in the fire. It throws him in the water. It does his thing. And he, he's tried everything to get him cured, and he can't. And he brings him to the disciples. Now, Jesus is away. And so he brings him to the disciples that are there. And because Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't cast this demon out. And so when Jesus returns to this group of disciples, the man looks at Jesus and goes, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't help him. And Jesus responds and says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Now, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples as much as it is to his lost people. You're faithless and you're perverted. You're that's a perverse generation. You're perverted. Now, let me just look at the word perverted for a second, because many a times when we hear the word pervert, perverted, we think of sexual connotations. It's, it's, a, it's about sexual immorality. But the idea of perversion is that something has been twisted, corrupted, broken, crooked. That's, that's To pervert something is to twist it, to misalign it. And so we, we, it goes with the sexual connotations because God made sex beautiful for marriage between a man and a woman. And then we pervert that. We, 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 we want to have sex outside of marriage. It's called fornication. It's a perversion. And Leviticus has a long list of those sins. And it starts off, you know, pretty simple. Like, you know, I love her, but I'm not married. And it goes all the way down to where people and animals and all sorts of, of sick stuff. And it's, it's a perversion. And there's, it just goes. But anything that we twist of God, anything that we sort of kind of twist is a perversion. When I don't tell the truth, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little perversion of reality. Um, and they all get deeper. But here Jesus said, you're faithless. You don't have faith and you're perverse. You know, those you twist things. How long shall I be with you? Because he's going to ascend into heaven and you he won't physically be there. And so Jesus rebukes the demon. The demon comes out and the boy is cured. And then the disciples come later privately because they don't want anyone to know this. And they go, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Now, here's here's the key here, people. Here's the key here. Because we want to get into the faith of the mustard seed and all this. But I want to go over to verse 21 first. This kind does not go out except for prayer and fasting. This demon would only go out if you've been praying and fasting. Why? Because you need anointing. You need anointing to cast out this demon. And this goes back to the beginning of the awakening. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are living in a dark world. We, we are fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And we cannot stand in this moment, in these dark days, without being with Jesus. This kind of not go up except for prayer and fasting. And then it backs up. Let me back up for if you have faith as a mustard seed. The reason that the disciples were not praying and fasting is because their faith was not as big as it needed to be. See, it was their faith that drives us to prayer. If you don't pray, if you don't read the Bible, if you're not seeking Jesus, if you're not doing these things, don't deceive yourself. Your faith is not there. I meet people all the time. Well, I believe in God. But they don't do anything to know God. 
It's a lie. We need to wake up to the truth. If you're not seeking God, don't tell me you believe in him. If you believe in something, you do something about it. It's not, it's not about, I'm not trying to get into a works mentality here, but your faith produces. Faith creates action. If you have no action, you need to evaluate your faith. What do you really believe? And now this is going to really get to another point. Once you stand, and I teach this to our students in our school of ministry and future ministers, when you stand before a person that is demon possessed, and you've got to cast out that demon, it's too late to go fast and pray. It's too late. You stand in that moment as who you are in Jesus Christ and what you've done already. If you fasted, if you prayed, if you walk with Jesus, if you know where you stand with Jesus, then that's what you have to use. In that moment, you can't suddenly stop and go, wait a minute, I'm looking at something like a demon in front of me. Let me fast and pray to deal with it. It's too late. You have to deal with it now. You have to deal with it now. That's like the virgins on the hill. Give us some of your oil so we can light our lights. A demon-possessed man is in front of you, and you want to cast it out, and you can't because you have no anointing. You can't look and say, oh, let me pray real quick, and God will deliver me. This is the same thing that the joking thing. Kids go into classroom. The teacher pops a pop test, a surprise test, a quiz upon them. And the kids close their eyes and go, oh, Lord, please help me pass. You're not going to pass because it's too late. It's too late. You should have been praying that prayer days before. Lord, help me to do well in this class. Help me to learn. By the way, I know that sounds foolish, but I wish I learned that myself. It wasn't until I, the last year of my college that I finally figured out that if I would pray and seek God, before my classes, before my studies, and I would just pray God to help me learn what I need to learn, that when the tests came, I remembered all kinds of things. The Lord helped me. But that, that, that prayer when the test is in front of me, I'm basically saying, God, I've been irresponsible. I've not done what I need to do. And, and I need you to bail me out. You see, that's, Many times we confess our sin the same way, God, I'm sorry I got caught. But you see, in our hearts, we're saying we'll do it again. We just don't want to get in trouble and we want to be bailed out. And that's the kind of thing that we have no, it shows we have no faith. God doesn't know us. It's high time when we wake up. It's high time that we wake up and realize, do I believe or not? And if I do, I need to seek God. I need to seek God while the grace given to me is here. See, we woke up today. Jesus has not come back as of the time I'm, t- I'm speaking. That means God's grace has given me another day. It's another day to seek Him. It's another day to know Him. It's another day to be a light in this dark world. And we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know when He will return. So we need to use this time wisely that he's given us to seek him and to be lights in this world. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus.
that those who are listening to this, their faith would rise up within them, that they would hear your spirit speaking to them, wake up. That God, that they would realize that you've given us weapons, spiritual weapons to, of warfare, God. And that we need to spend time with you, that we need to seek you, that we need your presence and your anointing, God. We need you to face the darkness of these days and to be a light and to be a difference. That God, it's too late when we when we deal with the issues of life, when things are thrown up, it's too late in that moment. God, help us to take this time, this grace you've given us to prepare ourselves so that when those moments arise, your spirit, your anointing will be with us and we can overcome. Father, I thank you that you're wanting to wake us up, God. I thank you that you're wanting faith to rise in believers so that we will have light to make a difference in this dark world. Father, I give you praise for all that you're doing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Chronicles of the Kingdom, Spiritual Awakening. You can listen to other lessons. This is Lesson 41. We have other lessons. You can see them on our website at www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless.